difference there in time. We have started, uh, Revelation 12 talks about the fact that we overcome the enemy uh, by the word of our testimony. And so we've started having tes testimony of some form in every service that we have. And tonight we're going to have Mandy Freeze come and give a testimony. probably need this water so wasn't worship so good I'm like over there like sobbing <laughs> God is so great um so those of you that don't know me my name is Mandy I've been coming to epic and well first of all I should tell you that I talk with my hands so if I'm going all crazy uh it's because I talk with my hands um so I've been coming to epic since August of last year and I'm going to share a little bit about my life some highlights in my life and kind of what God has brought me through. Um, so here goes. Um, when I was born, I had two older, older siblings. Um, my sister died when she was eight, and I was two. And because of that, I grew up with um, parents that um, separated. They, they divorced when I was quite young, and I had this fear of death my whole life. And when my parents remarried, my stepdad was an alcoholic, so I grew up in a household with a, an, a verbally abusive stepfather and a mom who cried most of the time and didn't really talk about God or Jesus or anything like that. Um, going through junior high, high school was pretty tough for me. Um, I have five brothers, one older brother with the same parents, and then when my mom got remarried, I was introduced to two stepbrothers and then two half-brothers. So five altogether. They're all my real brothers because I grew up with them. So in high school, um, I was a cheerleader, believe it or not. Um, I actually cheerleaded for about five years. And with that came a lot of gossip with women. So a lot of friendships were broken over gossip and believing that I can't trust women. I started to believe that Women are all the same. I can't really trust them. So I never had really solid women friends in my life. By the time I was 15, I started dating a Christian guy. He introduced me to Christianity. And by the time I was 16, I accepted the Lord in a pretty big way. Um, I was baptized. And shortly after that, my older brother was baptized as well. But my family was still not Christian, didn't grow up in a Christian home. And my stepdad was actually atheist. Um, so I found God within the family, within the guy that I dated. We ended up dating for four years, from the time I was 15 to the time I was 19. Um, when I started going to college, I found a really awesome young adult group, pretty, like, smaller than this, but it was very intimate, great setting, great friends. Um, but shortly after my uh, first year of college, um, I broke up with a guy of four years, and I, um, a month after that, one of my friends from high school committed suicide. So during that time, I went through a lot of depression. I was really depressed through um, for a couple months until God really got a hold of me through a dream. And in the dream, a friend came to me and um, told me some things in the dream, like you need to focus on God, you need to focus on things that are from God, and don't worry about the things that you're dealing with. So the next day, um, that same girl shared a Bible verse with me, and I'm going to go ahead and share it with you guys. 
It's from 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. It says this, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light, and, light affliction, which is far but for, sorry, my mouth is like cotton mouth. For our light affliction, which is, which is but for a moment, is working for us a, a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So God revealed himself in a big way to me. Um, shortly after that, I went on a mission trip to New Orleans and heard God's voice for the first time. I decided to focus on him for the next year and a half. Didn't really plan on any time, but I was like all gung-ho about God and didn't want to date. Um, but into that point of my life, about a year and a half into it, um, I lost a lot of trust within one of the pastors at the church I was going to. Um, after that happened, I started backsliding. Um, I got into alcohol and found my value in those things. By the end of college, um, I started dating a Christian guy, and he was part of a worship band, and I was really into him, and, you know, we had a pretty pretty good relationship, but it, it was full of lies. Um, we actually were engaged, which I was engaged before, um, and, sorry, let me look at my notes here. So I finally graduated college. I felt that God was calling me to the Bay Area. And then a couple weeks after that, I got a phone call from my employer saying, hey, we have a position in Walnut Creek. And I was like, oh, God's so listening to me. He's here. So I started, um, I applied, I got the job, um, and I moved to the Bay Area. I was helping out with a youth group at the time in Vallejo. And we, it was great. Like, I, I was really passionate about the kids there. I really love working with youth because my upbringing, like, not knowing the Lord and then God finding me in a huge way. I have been wanting to share that with, with young women and, and young guys as well. Um, so, moved to the Bay Area. Um, found myself really lonely. I didn't have a lot of friends. I was the only one out there. Um, and so... Again, I got back, well, I forgot to say, I actually broke up with a guy, got back with him, then got engaged, moved back to, the, to Sacramento. Um, my job transferred me back out to Rancho Cordova. And the relationship ended pretty sour. Um, I was lied to, um, and I felt that, you know, this was supposed to be a Christian man. This is supposed to be someone that is there for me, that's going to help me and support me. But yet, he lied to me over and over again. Um, after the breakup with him, after the um, engagement ended, I caught myself again in worldly desires, um, sex, alcohol. Um, and I, I just didn't care. I didn't care anymore. I didn't care what the word said. I didn't care. I knew the truth, but I just didn't care. Um, started dating another guy in uh, 2007. 2010 was a pretty bittersweet year for me. Um, my grandfather died in, in February, which was really hard for me because he was pretty close. And I just, I was kind of like the only Christian in my family. Everyone was turning to me for prayer and support. And here I was like, you know, not really following the Lord, but knowing the truth, trying to pray for them, trying to be that rock in my family, but I didn't feel that I could do it. Um, 
Also, I was diagnosed with HPV. Um, for you who don't, for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a sexually transmitted disease. It's a virus, um, and this devastated me. Um, I put my identity in this when I started believing that I was worthless. I started feeling that I was slutty. I started feeling that this is what defines who I am. Um, I found myself settling short of what God had in store for my life, and I started believing all these lies that the enemy was coming in and telling me. That same year, I bought my first house at the age of um, at the age of 23, and the following year, um, God continued tugging on my heart and pulling at me and, and trying to get my attention. Um, I went to Tennessee for three weeks in May of 2011 and realized that I didn't want to live this lifestyle anymore. I was going out on, weekend, on the weekends. I was getting drunk. I was partying. I was doing all these things that not a real Christian does and then going to church on Sunday. Um, I didn't want to live this life anymore. I came back from the trip feeling horrible, um, being in a relationship. The guy didn't really value me. He didn't really see me for, for how God saw me. Um, so I came back from the trip. I started crying out to God and just trying my hardest to, to get his attention and to, to take away all this pain and whatnot. But I felt so unworthy that I couldn't even cry out to him. Um, so um, in August of 2011, um, one of my friends told me about this cool group called Epic Life, and that was RJ. Um, and so I started coming in August, and the first message that I heard was from this guy named Sean Lawrence talking about relationships, of all things. So, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so I, I came to Epic Life, heard, heard this guy Sean preach, and I was like, man, I need to marry a man like that not thinking what God had in store. Um, so, I, again, I was in a relationship at the time, and because of the talk from this guy named Sean, I actually broke up with um, the guy I was dating. Um, not to date Sean, but because God had put it on my heart that this wasn't a healthy relationship. And, and months prior to that, I was trying to get out of the relationship. So after getting out of the relationship that I was in, um, God really started talking to me. I started surrendering um, all the things that I had been doing, um, all the addictions that I had, all the, the guilt and shame from my past. God started to heal me of those things. Um, in September, I went on a women's retreat, and God really spoke to me very clearly and said, Mandy, you are worthy. You've been called worthy of me, worthy of God. Um, I started becoming friends with Sean, and shortly after, we started dating. Um, and it came to a point where I needed to tell Sean all these things in my past. I needed to tell him everything about what has happened to me, what I've been diagnosed with. And I'm thinking, this guy does not, he's not going to want to date me. I'm disgusting. I'm, you know. And when I finally got the courage to tell Sean, I'm in tears. And I go to him and I say, this is what I've done. This is who I am. And Sean just looked at me and said, it doesn't change. Sorry, I don't want to cry. It doesn't change how I see you and how I love you. And the same goes for God. Like, God sees us like that, right? He sees us as beautiful, as worthy, as he doesn't look at our past, and he doesn't take our past and, and define us by that. Um, so um, 
coming up until this year, um, January of 2012, um, the doctor told me that I do not have HPV. I've been healed of it. Um, so praise God. And I got engaged in February of 2012 to the love of my life, Sean. Um, and God continues to move in our lives and moves in my life. And he's teaching me so much about his character and who he is and the freedom that we can have from just releasing the past and, and not letting the past define who we are. Um, especially as women, you know, we live in a society where we have to look beautiful. We have to look this way. But that's such a lie. God sees us as beautiful. And so I just want to encourage everyone, like, if there's stuff that you're holding on to and that God is just telling you to let go of, like, just do it. Because he's going to put so much freedom and healing in your life. And, and Christ's life is good, too. Not that I'm promoting that, but really. <laughs> um, so thank you guys for letting me share. And that's it. So if you're here tonight and you have a couple of things you might be ashamed of or a couple of things that the enemy's been telling you that um, you're damaged goods and this is the evidence, the awesome thing about the blood of Jesus is it touches evidence and it totally disappears. And it doesn't matter what addictions you have. There are people all over this room who have uh, had all kinds of crazy, wild addictions, and God has set a bunch of us free. So we just look forward to what God wants to say to you tonight, because the same God who touched Mandy and healed her heart, but also healed her body, is here for you for whatever you need. <coughs> so uh, we have a special treat tonight. Uh, Dwayne Coleman is going to come. So if you'll come. Dwayne was on staff here and led the Master's Commission program and, and, as you can tell, had an impact on a bunch of guys here in the room. So we're looking forward to what Dwayne has to say. Thank you, Eric. Oh, man. So uh, this is kind of an emotional night. I have a lot of friends and family here, MC alumni, if you can make some noise. And uh, and other friends, other friends, maybe not MCS, but we're all we're all part of the body, so same family. Um, can we just? I, I'm really big on celebrating what God is doing, and I think last time I was here, we talked about gratitude. I think, and really focusing. So, could we just give a riot applause for what just happened? And I'm, I'm sorry, your name one more time, Manny's life. I mean, that is some awesome. <laughs> That's, it's, it's really no joke, you know, and that's what the coolest thing about Christianity is it's real. You know what I mean? It's not a false religion where we have to conjure up stuff to make it creative and cool. It's real all in and of itself. God moves then, now, and tomorrow. And so it's exciting. If you've been touched, you know. If you haven't, then this is probably odd. But if you've been touched, you know. Dude, it is some good stuff. Um, so before we get into the message, I want to continue just giving out some accolades. Uh, this is really, really special for me to speak here because of all the places that I get to speak. This is one of the rare places where I get to go, and I know the word is actually going to be applied. 
and that's unfortunate. <laughs> but 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 it, I get so excited when I talked when I talked to Eric about coming here because I was like, dude, this is this is awesome because every time I come, there's growth, whether it's numerically or in depth, there's growth. As she just said, and as we even see on the stage, you know, I'm looking at Aaron up here, uh, David Oates and Jordan Howard, who were in small group with me back in the day. I mean, it's just this is a place of growth where people actually mature in their relationship with God. It's not just rhetoric, um, some philosophies. This is what's actually happening. And so that's exciting. So I'm excited because I get to kind of partake and share in that with you. And I also want, if we could give one more grand applause. Uh, this is Ty and Juliet's one-year anniversary. So if we could show some love. I love it. It feels good to clap your hands, doesn't it? It feels good. Uh, so tonight we're talking about motives. Okay, and specifically we're going to talk about what's the motive behind the gospel? What's, what's God's motive? And in my opinion, it's probably the most critical question we could ask a Christian in this time period. Because I'm under the belief from what I've experienced that many of us in the church body don't really get God's motive. And really when I say motive, what I'm saying is the heart, the heartbeat of God. What's the heartbeat of God? What's the heartbeat of the gospel? What is the motive of God? And what is our motive in the gospel? What is our motive in terms of this relationship with God? And before we get into that, it's kind of become, fortunately, good for you, bad for me, kind of part of when I speak, I share a life experience of humiliation so I, I, I figured we might as well just keep going. Um, so, you know, it goes with the sermon, so it works out. You know, God kind of works on my spiritual growth in two ways. There's inspiration and then humiliation. I, I don't know how it is for you. The inspiration is awesome. Like, I'll go watch Batman, Dark Knight, and God is, like, showing me at the end of the movie. He's, he's becoming the chosen one. He's taking all the pain because the people can't take it. And God's like, that's me. I took your pain because you can't take it. I'm like, yes, God, that's awesome. <laughs> Got it. I'm inspired to live for you. But there's times he does it in a humiliation way where sometimes, I don't know if you've been here, but you kind of feel like maybe all of heaven is looking down like, <laughs> we've been there too, but <laughs> right now it's your turn. You know, and so I want to share a story with you because motives are huge and sometimes we can misinterpret someone's motive, okay? So let me, let me flip it back uh, a few years. I'm in eighth grade, okay? That's most tragedy for me happened in eighth grade, uh, seventh and eighth grade. So I'm in eighth grade. And many of you heard the Keisha Phillips story. Uh, this is, for, for those who don't know, Keisha Phillips was God's gift to the earth in junior high. Okay, and this girl just had me mesmerized as well as every other guy in junior high. And just just blew, blew my mind. You know, I was like, God, I believe in you because there's a Keisha Phillips. <laughs> I know that you are real. No doubt. No doubt. Darwin didn't see this. Okay, um. So, so what took place is I asked this girl out 17 times my seventh grade year. And unfortunately, God gave her as much persistence as me, and she said no every time. So things weren't really working out, but somehow I had enough, I don't know, game or whatever you call it these days, swag or whatever, courage, something. I had something, whatever the kids call it. And I was able to get her to befriend me on AIM. You guys remember AIM? AIM. 
You know what I'm talking about? Before there was all this other stuff out there, Twitter or whatnot. And AIM was awesome because it emboldened the coward everywhere. You know, things I would not say to your face because I could get pounded for, I would love to say to you on AIM because you're not going to find me. There's no address or anything. You, 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 that's it. I get, I get to be the king on AIM. So I'm talking to Keisha on AIM, and we're having a lovely conversation. Um, it's about two or three lines deep. And, <laughs> and this is all true. So <laughs> remember, you're laughing at me. <laughs> so what, what took place is at the end of the conversation, you know, I had said something, and she thought it was funny. You know, and she goes, ah, ha, ha, ha. And usually you get like, ha, ha. And that's like generic funny, but it was like 10 ha, ha, ha. So it was like, I hit home. You know, I, I triggered something here. Okay, and I, I, I knew I had to capitalize on this moment. But unfortunately, she goes, you know, I have to go. G2G, however, you know, I got to go, whatever. And, you know, but I'll talk to you tomorrow. Love you, bye. In my mind, I heard, I love you, bye. And so everything stopped at that moment. I was like, oh, my gosh, Dwayne, you finally have done it. This is what victory talks about. This is why we praise God. You, you have attained what Paul was looking for, okay? And so I'm, this is eighth grade spirituality, okay? I'm being honest. And so I'm, I'm freaking out, and I'm like, okay, you know, there's, there's a small window. She's going to have to exit out soon. So, you know, be, be, be careful and cautious in your words. Don't give in too much, but, you know, you got to reply. So I respond back, I love you, exclamation, 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 exclamation point. Now, nobody told me there's a difference when a girl says, love ya, and I love you. I don't know if that's supposed to be common knowledge. I went to public school. I never, there, were, there, was, there was, no one told me that. So you can kind of put together the embarrassment that came the next day. You know, people were making fun of me. Word got out quick. Lover boy, yeah. hey, I love you, man. You know, I, I thought we had something. But you can, we can mistake someone's motive or intent, even though we're, we're, we're actually reading what we're reading, that may not be necessarily what they were intending to say. And it's important that when we, receive a message, we understand the intent behind it. Otherwise, it can get pretty embarrassing. And when we're talking about the gospel presentation, it has even higher ramifications of not just humiliation, but possible eternal destination. So it's very critical that we understand, okay, what is the heart behind the gospel? So before we get into it, I want to ask you guys a question, and not to be spoken out loud, but if you would just kind of whisper it to yourself in your mind, just know what your answer is. I want to ask you this. What does God love most about you? Just kind of answer that. Don't be super spiritual and try to quote scripture to yourself. Just be honest. Whatever the, whatever the first thing is that comes to your mind, just say that. Just be honest. I embarrass myself. You know, no, you're not, no one's going to even know what you're thinking. Second question, how have you let God down recently? I want you to think about that. Think about those two questions. I would, I would reason, I don't want you to tell me, but I would reason, being a human myself and asking myself these questions, that we probably answered it somewhere along the lines, what does God love most about me? If we could find something, 
It probably had to do with something that we've done or, or are capable of doing. What does God love most about you? Well, I can. Well, I. And, it, and it's usually something that I've done or am doing that we associate the love with. When we think of how have I let God down, we usually think of what I have done recently and, and where I failed or came up short, and that is where I let God down. Some biblical truth. God doesn't love you, never has, and according to Scripture, never will love you for any other reason than the uniqueness of your individuality that you were made in the image of God. That's it. And fortunately, you can't change that, <laughs> which is a good thing. So you can't decrease or increase that love. Now, this is nothing new. But this is something that we still, I don't, I don't think we, we've, we've really attained an understanding on. It's not about anything that I could do. God loves me specifically for the uniqueness of my individual, individuality. Sorry. Ugh. The fact that I have my own specific personality and that I'm made in the image of God and that I reason, I, I can think, I can choose, I have volition, I have free will. Humans are like nothing else in creation. We are so spe we're specific in each one. You, it's even hard to do statistics on us because we, we think, well, if it happened here, it'll happen there. But that's not true because every individual is just so different. You can't really predict how anyone's going to handle anything. That's what makes sports so fun is because the most talented team doesn't always win. It's got to be played because you can never predict what an individual is capable of. We, we can't. That's what makes sports entertaining. So, so we understand it's that which attracts God to me. And I like it when you look up love in the dictionary. It talks about a kinship, a connection. And it's cool because that's where the image of God comes in. There's a connection. We literally came from his essence. So there is a kinship that comes between the relationship between man and God. The second question it is impossible for any human to let God down, for we never had the ability to hold him up. God holds us up, and we forget that so often. Oh, God, I let you down. I'm so sorry. Oh, well, Dwayne, you do it again. I might lose it. No. <laughs> no, he's, you know, he's, that's not how it works. He sustains me. I do not sustain him. And I can't disappoint God. Disappointing God is almost like it, it, it alludes that there's some surprisement. God, you can't surprise God because he knows it all. It's not like you made a mistake and he's like, oh, man, did not see that coming. I really thought you had it this time. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. But this is how we operate, is it not? Myself included. This is how we operate. Oh, man, I, I know, I know, I know. And we, we, we assume his position to be that of which would be human-like. We assume that he thinks the way that we think. But God doesn't focus on your failures, but on your victories. And we're going to see that much more clearly as we go on. And so, it's, again, it's critical that we understand the motive behind the gospel. Because you really don't have the gospel if you don't understand the motive behind it. If you don't understand the motive of God, you can't even comprehend the gospel. You, you, you can't. So it's imp maybe we should just go to the gospel and figure out what it is. Okay. But before we go to the scripture, let me just give you what I believe is the gospel according to America. 
Humans disobeyed God, therefore were banished from God's presence and separated from God. Due to man's disobedience, hell was the final judgment for all mankind. But God came in the form of a man named Jesus and lived a human life for over 30 years and died a terrible, violent, bloody death and resurrected three days later after giving hope of eternal life for all those who would believe in him and stop sinning. Would we say that most Christians in America would say this is pretty accurate? That's, that's pretty much the gospel message, right? And to be honest with you, I can prove every line of that in the scripture. I can prove every part of that in the scripture. But here's the issue. There's a difference between half-truth and full truth. There's an incomplete gospel, which a lot of us have been brought into, and then there's the full gospel, the full understanding of what God's purpose is within the gospel context. This is true. There's, I mean, it's, it's in the book. It's just not fully told. And the problem is when you don't have all the truth, it can lead you down a path that is different than where the full truth would have led you. In regards to this, that's a big deal. There's the narrow gate and then there's the wide. The wide is, I don't know if, if, we've, if I've ever mentioned this here before, but the wide, a lot of times we think, oh, the wide road, that's for the drunks and, you know, the evil people that, that murder and rape and blah, 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 blah. It's not talking about evil. It's talking about religious paths that are towards the kingdom of God, but that just aren't it. And the narrow gate is the true gospel, which few find. And unfortunate for us would be to have the gospel, but not complete, and to give our lives to it just to find out you didn't know me. What a terrible day that would be. So we can't miss the motive of God. What's the motive of God? Let's break down the gospel according to American, find where we're missing out. One, man disobeyed God. When we hear as Americans, isn't that, hasn't that not been stressed a lot? If you've been in church since junior high or high school, you've heard about disobedience. Amen? We know disobedience is a no-no, right? And uh, that's why we all want to be 18, so we make our own rules, right? Disobedience, yeah, I got it. Obey mom and dad, I got it. Disobedience is like, Super bad. But really, it wasn't an issue of disobedience in the garden. And if you walk away with your gospel message believing that the reason they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden is because of pure disobedience, you will lose, you will miss the gospel message. Disobedience, according to Jesus, in chapter 14, Jesus says, if you love me, then you will obey my commands. What is he saying? He's giving you the translation of God versus man, okay? That's the very first translation of scripture, okay? The JSV, Jesus Standard Version, okay? And he's saying, look, when you guys obey, we understand that as love. So therefore, when you disobey, we understand that as, that that would be a sign of hatred. Jesus says, or Paul says later in the gospel, do you not know that love, loving the world is hatred towards God? You can't do both. It's a love issue. It's not about discipline. It's not a discipline issue. It's a love issue. And when you take away the gospel message as a discipline issue, you're missing it. But when you can walk away and understand it's a love issue, now we're getting somewhere. We can understand. Okay, so first of all, we need to expound disobedience. What is God saying when he says in the beginning that we disobeyed? He's talking about 
for love lost. That when Adam and Eve chose to eat from the forbidden tree, they were choosing a new love. They're saying, no, you, yes, us, yes, self-gain, yes, etc. But no God. It was a love issue, not a discipline issue. That's why you can't cure it with discipline. It's a love issue. Number two, the bloody death. Uh, if, we could, if we could put on a first Peter, I think that should be the first one we have. Oh, are we not doing that? Okay. Sorry, that, I was used to, yeah, it's been a while since I've been here. Okay. First uh, <laughs> Peter says, for you know that it was not, am I in your way? For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Now we have seen the passion and we have heard, you know, I, I grew up as a pastor's kid, so I don't know how many sermons I've heard on the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And maybe you can relate as a fellow American, you kind of walk away with a self of guilt, uh, uh, a feeling of guilt. You, you feel bad because the presentation of how we do the Gospels, you don't understand how the value and the, the expense of the blood of Jesus, which is accurate. It's very expensive. It's the blood of Jesus. It's the highest value that there is. That's why it was able to purchase us. But when you speak of it as in a way that this is what God did for you, that, that he shed his blood for you, you need to really consider how you're living your life, that is a guilt trip type presentation, which leaves one... When they do fall short, I'm going to do anything but go to God right now. As a matter of fact, I might do the same sin twice. Don't act like I'm the only one. I'll throw my Bible at you. Wait, tell me you wouldn't rather do the same sin twice than go back to Jesus in that moment. Come on, it happens. I know, I, I do discipleship. I, 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 you ain't fooling me, okay? Save that for Eric. He said, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. But when I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about. We're not, the last thing we want to do as a Christian is go to God when we fall short. Because as a Christian, more than anyone, we know how expensive that blood was. And man, it's a terrible thing to treat it like that. I messed up. I fell short. How could I do that? The first thing I need is not a savior. I need time to space the gap. Hello, come on. Eugene, they're going to rile me up. They're going to rile me up, acting like they don't know what I'm talking about. The first thing you want when you know you've done wrong, disobeyed, is you want time. We want time. It's the most precious come 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 come. What she said that we can have as a Christian because we, we we love time. Time is the most precious thing in Christianity because it helps us feel better about what we did. Time it heals that wound, and I feel better. But the problem is it's putting confidence in other things than Christ. Can we go to Hebrews chapter 9, I believe it is? 9 verse 14. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? Can we go to the next one, chapter 10? Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Pure water, talking about the word of God there. Now that sounds super anti my life. Because the last thing, the majority of my life, the blood of Jesus has done is made me feel not guilty. 
I would probably say, like myself, most Christians, the blood of Christ is the number one thing that makes us feel guilty. Because we haven't understand the gospel message. It's been presented to us incomplete. The very thing that should welcome me into the presence of God is the very thing keeping me out. Someone's not hearing me. Maybe that, that's just a sign that it is hitting somebody, yeah? Maybe that's what we get quiet now. It's reverse. Back, back, you know, when I, when we, I don't know. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses not only the sin, but it washes away the guilty conscience. That's the purpose of it. And we give the devil way too much glory and satisfaction every time we fall short and we say, because of the blood, Jesus, I need some time. Jesus got to be looking, are you, will, will you please read the book? That's why, I, that's, I'm sprinkling you with the blood right now. Let's read again. Let us draw near. Some, please, somebody catch this. Let us draw near. That's the opposite of what we just talked about. When we sin, we want to go opposite way, right? Jesus, time. But he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. The blood of Jesus is the only reason I can ever present myself before God. It's not because I have time or because after I sinned, I did three more good things that were way better than that one failure. No. But we do that. But no, that's not it. It's the, it's the blood of Jesus and nothing else. I'm giving you the real gospel message. I'm giving you the book because anything else, you can profess all you want. Oh, you can give a t- testimony and say whatever, all oh, blood of Jesus. Oh. But if in your life and in your heart, you do not come to God out of anything other than the blood of Jesus, you miss it. I don't make the rules. That's, that's how it is. You miss it. No matter how loud you are with your mouth or on AIM or on your Twitter or on your Facebook, Hebrews 9.14, oh, that really hit home tonight. What are you doing when you go home and that failure does come? Is it the blood of Jesus that allows you to draw near? If it's not, you're missing it. And that's time for some serious evaluation. Okay, I need a Eric, Eric. We need to talk, bro, because there, there's an issue here in my heart. I'm not drawing near. I, I have a misunderstanding of the blood of Jesus. Can we go to the word, the word and allow it to purify me so I can, I can come in off the confidence of nothing else but of the good action of Jesus' death and his blood? That's it. That's it. Number three, stop sinning. I can't tell you, I've heard that more than anything. I've probably heard that more than my, my own name. <laughs> it's almost like when someone says sin, I kind of perk up, huh? Yeah, I did it. Yeah. It's like, that's, that's the most common word probably in Christianity, you know, is, is sin. And, and unfortunately, a lot of times when we think of Jesus, we think sin. First thing in your mind is Jesus sin. Oh, shoot, dang it. Uh, 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 what were we talking about again? It's, it's like, why has Jesus always got to be associated with sin? I wouldn't want that. <laughs> you don't want that. Because <laughs> we're missing it. We're, we're missing it. Yes, Jesus did come and take away our sins, but it was more than that. If someone's hungry for the gospel, can you, make, can you say something? 
I don't, I don't want to serve up a dish and I'm the only one eating it. <laughs> Number three, it says stop sinning. We feel as though coming to Christ instantly means I have to get my spiritual diet in place and lose all my sin fat immediately by strenuous religious workout plans. Really? And, and then we begin to use church as a P90X. And we want to go to the pastor who's the most charismatic. Uh, uh, oh, dude, he's so charismatic, bro. And he's talking about sin management, bro. You got to come on Wednesday nights, bro. He breaks it down. <laughs> Is that not what we do? That's what we want to do. I, I, I'm telling you, that's what we want to do. We want, we want our pastors just like our P90X guy. Encourage us, saying some good stuff. All right, we're going to work on our sin today. Yeah, I hate it, but I love it. Yeah, we're going to decrease sin. Everybody say amen, amen. <laughs> Tell me what to do, Pastor. I'm ready to work it out. Fear and trembling, we getting it done. Ah. And, and we love it because it, it gives us in our carnal nature such a feel-good feeling to know that I'm doing something to work out my sin. Feels good. I'm not going to lie. I, I'm just as human as you. Feels good when I do something. I don't want God doing it. I want to do it. It makes me feel good, and it makes it easier in my carnal nature, to go before God, although that's not why I should be going before him, because my righteousness is filthy rags compared to Jesus. Probably much worse than that. If God's focus is not on the sin, or it's not on the sin, but rather it's on the terms of the relationship with us. So if God's focus is on me, it's probably be good in this relationship context that I put my focus on him probably we're struggling so much in church is because we're putting all our focus on the sin still after years and years and years. For most Christians, we live just like B.C., before Christ, how the Jews did. We don't kill anything except our own bodies. I mean, we're working it out like Tai Bo, making a sweat to feel good that we're taking something away. We, we, we do not live as though we really believe that the blood of Jesus is enough. And we talk about it enough. Everybody knows how expensive and the value of the blood of Jesus, but I think we just miss the purpose of it. It was not to shame you. If we were to read earlier in, in that verse of Hebrews, it says the goats and calves were insufficient because it, as they do, would do it yearly and yearly, it would remind people of their sin and they were overwhelmed with the guilt. So Jesus gave us a two-for-one deal. He said, I'm not just taking away the sins, but the guilty conscience as well. And why is the guilty conscience such a big deal? Because it separated us from God. We would not go to him because of the guilty conscience. So he says, even if I take away sin, if they still feel guilty, I still do, get, do, I still do not get that which I desire, which is them. So I remove the guilty conscience as well, and we keep bringing it back. That's not Jesus, and it's not even the devil. It's, it's me. <laughs> devil won't even got to do work in the church anymore. We're doing ourselves. <laughs> Demons haven't lurched around here in years. You're going to Capitol this week? No, man, they're still stuck on, you know, the blood of Jesus scaring them away. <laughs> what? That's a, that's a tragedy. That is a tragedy for the blood of Jesus to draw me away. We do, I, I can't even, that is a travesty. The blood of Jesus is so we draw near. I can't stress that enough. It's so we draw near. If it does anything other than draw you near, something is wrong. We're missing it somewhere. Numbers 23, 19 says this. If we have that one, yeah. 
God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and then not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? Here's something we have to, have to, have to understand. God does not think like a man. God does not think like a man. God does not think like a man. That is probably one of the best things you can say every morning while you get up and brush your teeth. Just say it all morning long. God is not a man. God is not, or God is not a woman. God is not a, he's not a human, pretty much, is the context. He's not a human being that he thinks like we think. We keep consistently putting God inside the framework of a human mind. He doesn't operate like we do. And, and he'll never operate like we do. Thank God. <laughs> and we can, but we can learn to think like God. We can. By the transforming power of his word and the help of the Holy Spirit, we can learn to think like God. And that is healthy and that is good and we should pursue that. But the first step is to ensure that we understand he doesn't think like us. So although it may feel like right now he's thinking this because that's how dad thought or mom thought or how I would think, I can't allow myself to accept that to be his thought process because he's not like me. I have to reject those lies. No, he's not thinking what I'm thinking. If I want to know what he's thinking, ask him. Go to his word. Talk to the spirit. As we said in the beginning, he's real. You, you can dialogue with God. I, I don't know if that's new. It's been happening for years, but for a lot of us, that, that's a new concept. Ah, you know, I kind of just pray and then throw it up in the air, and then what happens, happens. Okay, it makes sense why your walk is the way it is. You know, like, boring. <laughs> I mean, it's like leaving voicemails on your girlfriend or your wife's. That, that, that's your relationship. You just leave voicemails for her all the time. <laughs> hey, babe, just checking in. This was going on my day. It was awesome. You know, and now I'm going to the baseball game. Uh, so, yeah, I guess I'll just leave you a voicemail tomorrow. Talk to you later. Is that a relationship? I could have had that with Keisha. That's pretty much all I had. But I wasn't dating her. We, we had nothing. That, that's having nothing. But, look, but, but in all reality, that's how some of our relationships with God looks like. Is we, we, we have a voicemail type relationship with God where I leave messages and hopefully he receives it and maybe does something with it. <laughs> what gospel are we listening to? Here, here's the thing. You can't just come to church and just listen to a speaker. You have to go to the word yourself. And you need to pray and ask the Lord, your spirit is here. Help me correctly perceive your message. He can do that. That's how I start. I was in high school when I started reading the Bible. And I just read it with the Holy Spirit. And I would tell my pastor stuff. And say, hey, man, that's pretty good. That, that's it. Because the Holy Spirit's real. You don't, you, in all reality, the only necessity you need more than even a shepherd is the Holy Spirit. Because you can have a shepherd and the Holy Spirit and you're still, you're not there. You need the Holy Spirit. Use the Holy Spirit. He's here for you to guide you and lead you in all truth. Pastors, preachers, leaders, we play a part in that, but we don't replace God. And you can't allow us to replace God. The Holy Spirit can only play the Holy Spirit, okay? All right. We were talking about uh, God is not like a man. Um, and, and in context of not thinking like a man, it's good that we understand, okay, this, we talked about love earlier. It's a love issue, not a discipline issue. But we struggle in understanding what love is. It's one of our, we, we've destroyed the word love in America. We've just tarnished it. It's just, 
It almost doesn't even have value. I get told I love you so much. I'm like, I, don't even know, I don't even know what you mean when you say that. Such the, it's most, probably the most vague term that I can think of. Love you, brother. What, is, what does that mean? The, what, what level did we just reach in brohood? I don't, I don't know. I don't, did we go from high fives to a hug? What, what, is that, what does that mean? Break that down. A lot of us can't even explain love if we were asked to on the spot. What is love? Well, when a man loves a woman. Whoa, whoa, what? Hey, bro. Just, just in general, what is love? Just, just tell me out. How do you love Jesus? Just, just keep, keep it simple. The reason we, have, we struggle with love is because we have intertwined the word like with love. And they're not the same, but they've become the same. Here's what like is. I'll give, I'll give you Webster's Dictionary. It says, to find pleasant or attractive, enjoy. Think of it like this in terms of business. There's imports and there's exports. Like is an import, okay? Right now, on my computer and on my, my phone, I don't have music on my phone, but I listen to Pandora and I got some stations. And because uh, I'm too cheap to buy music, you know. But anyways, and I feel like it's sinning if I download it for free. So, yeah, I got issues, but working through it. Um, so on, on the music, wh- what I do is all the music I have is all the music that I enjoy. That's all I have. I don't have any music you like because it's not your phone. As, as you probably have music that I don't like because it's not my phone. Does that make sense? I'm only going to have on my phone what I like. He's only going to have music on his phone that he likes that he enjoys, it pleases him, it satisfies him. That's an import. It's coming in. Is that comprehensible? I'm trying to break it down as simple as possible. It's coming in. It's an import. I like it. It's enjoyable. It's attractive. It's satisfying. I like it. Okay? Now, I have some friends, and this isn't Eugene. I just want to clarify. This is not Eugene. I have, I have a friend who's actually from Kansas, and he's... I call him a, I I don't know if he'll ever hear this. Well, uh, oh, wow. Okay. I have a friend who's a rapper, and I don't know how far it's really going to go. It's not Eugene. It's not Eugene, okay? (laughs) I know what it looks like, but that's not what it is. So I got this friend, and he's a rapper, and he's always sending me his stuff on Facebook and stuff. And I'm just like, man, I, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to respond. I, I don't like lying, but I don't want to be too truthful. So I'm always praying for spiritual ways to say, yeah, that was positive and uplifting. Sounded good. Like, I think I read that in scripture once. Um, that's cool, dude. Right on, man. Um, pray before you send another one. Uh, and so... I have his music because I love him. It is not enjoyable. I am not satisfied when I listen to it in the least bit. But because I love him, I do that for him. That's an export. For his sake, I buy the music. Does that make sense? So there's the like, which is the music I have because it satisfies me. It's an import. And then because of my love relationship for my bro, I buy it because I want to support him. Not because I like it. I'm never going to promote it. I will never bring him here. But I will, I will keep him in prayer and, you know, God's ways are higher than ours. But see, the problem is we've intertwined like and love to where we say things. Cold Stone is probably one of the biggest advocates of this. We have you like it, you love it, and then got to have it. And it's like, 
who, okay, you love Cold Stone? Like, you don't love Cold Stone. If you love Cold Stone, you really don't know what love is. And I'm a, I'm a big ice cream connoisseur. Anybody who knows me knows that. I, I could live in a bathtub of chocolate chip cookie dough, and that would be totally fine by me. But I don't, I don't, I don't love it. I like it. But you see how we begin to blend those words? And so what it does in the mental state is it begins to tell my, my subconscious that what I love is that what I like. So therefore, I only love what I like. Therefore, I only love what satisfies me. Therefore, I only love what is attractive. Therefore, I only love what is enjoyable. So then when I go to the scriptures or I hear Eric preaching and he says, God loves you, what am I translating that as? God loves whatever is pleasable by me to him. Now that just stripped me of the truth of Genesis, which we read earlier, which was not by anything you do, but simply by who you are. But that has been stripped because of how we interpret love in our culture. It almost makes it impossible for us to ever understand. We're almost crippled and cheated out of a truth that we could ever comprehend. It's almost like the devil could say, go ahead, read the Bible, man. Enjoy. (laughs) Oh, this is going to be great. Because what it creates is it creates people who believe their God loves them based upon what they do. And if you didn't know, that is performance. What you're talking now is performance. It creates performance-based relationships, which is why when someone says, what does God love most about you? You're going to say what you do. Or you're going to say what you don't do because I don't do anything I don't think that's up to the level of what God would enjoy. Again, our gospel message is under attack. And if we don't truly understand it, we'll never be able to pass it on. We have to understand the motive of God. Does God love us because we're good at anything? Or we're not love us because we're bad at anything? It's not a discipline issue. It's not a disobedience issue. It's a love issue. 1 Corinthians 13, chapter 13, verse 4 through 7. Many of us know it's the love chapter. I just want to read the breakdown of it. Love suffers long, diligently seeks ways to be useful, delights in esteem or honor of another, does not draw attention to itself exclusively, knowing one is more important than another, does not engage in impure or ungodly activity, allows free will, is others-oriented, does not use anger as a means to solve difficulties with others, does not keep account of wrongdoings, neither delights in another person's unrighteous behavior nor joins in it, great joy with the truth when it prevails in another person's life, publicly silent in another person's faults, expresses unshakable confidence and trust in others, confidently expecting future victory in others, outlasts every attack of Satan to break up relationships. Now, when I read that, that is 110% contrary to what I think of God in the moments of my struggle. (laughs) I have never once thought that's what he's thinking. (laughs) Let's just review it one more time. Oh, that's cool. We have it up there. This is kind of more of a breakdown of each phrase. Um, I want to highlight a couple here. Allows free will and is others oriented. Or some version might say, I don't see it up there, uh, does not demand its own way. Do some of your versions have that if you're looking in there? It should say, does not demand its own way. In other words, it allows free will. And, and it's, that's a big thing to me. Because I think, I think we miss that a lot in how God allows free will. Think about this. 
in the Garden of Eden. God comes to Adam and says, hey, everything's yours. You're the man, you rule, it's all yours. But just go and eat of the forbidden tree. That's it. See you tomorrow. Right? That's it. That's all we have as far as the conversation about the forbidden tree. Adam ends up taking of it, and it becomes the ultimate disaster, right? I don't know about you guys, but I grew up in a home of a very protective mother, okay? She's so protective that we lived in a Clovis community of a population where I am the, I'm the, I'm the darkest and the only dark one, okay? So when I grew up, I grew up biracial, okay? I come from a predominantly black family, but all my friends and culture was was non-African American. So I was, I was almost raised confused. I, I, you know, th- this is a true story. When we, I, I took swimming lessons. I don't know if that's common. Um, <laughs> probably, sh- probably didn't need to mention that, huh? Probably didn't need to mention that. Okay. <laughs> well, hey, you know, hey, we all fall short. So I took swimming lessons for six years, and, um, and it's not because I failed. It was, we, we went up in levels, okay? By, by the time I was done, I could do a dolphin. And I, you probably don't even know what that is, but it's difficult. Um, so I'm in swimming lessons, and w- when the boys would get out of, the, out of the water, they'd always fling their hair back. And I never knew why they did it. I just, that's what we do. So I would get out of the water, and I always, <laughs> until, <laughs> this is, it's true, it's what, <laughs> it's what I did. I did, you know, until my mom smacked me one day. I said, what are you doing? You're like an idiot out there, you know? That's what we do, Mom. We swim, we, get, we dive, we come out. That's our move. Now my hair's not moving anywhere. It's, it's ridiculous. But so I had, I had a real protective mom, and I don't know about how your moms were, but what, what I kind of seen, a common trend, is for parents, there's like the ultimate disaster for a parent is like your daughter getting pregnant or your, your son impregnating someone's daughter, right? That, that's kind of like the ultimate disaster. The only reason they don't want you drinking alcohol or smoking weed is because it could lead to pregnancy, pretty much. <laughs> if, it, if it didn't lead to that, you know, my dad probably would have been fine. Okay, have, you know, do what you did. But because it could lead to pregnancy, he was like, no, stay away from all that stuff. My mom was so hardcore, I couldn't watch a television show or even a movie if there was any kissing involved. Once she saw lips, touch, shut it down, in your room, that's it. Should have known better. It was like, hey, they're married. It's seventh, it's seventh heaven. It's good. Like, <laughs> What, what can I watch? You know, they, they kiss in, in cartoons, you know. So that's how my mom was. And what my mom did, this was her approach, is, um, and God bless my mom. My mom's a great mom. Mother's Day is coming up. Got to do something big. Um, so, so what happens is she would use all her resources to prevent any opportunity for me to choose impurity. That, that's, how, that's how I was raised. It wasn't training me necessarily in a way to choose purity. It was preventing even the option. We will use all our resources to make sure nothing's going to happen. The first day you come home or I see you holding a girl's hand, it's getting shut down. Okay? I'll put you in an all-boys school. Don't think I won't. Okay? Like I was, hey, hey, hey. And I think that's how a lot of us kind of have our mindset is we want to protect the ultimate disaster ever occurring, even at the cost of free will. I've even prayed to myself, God, 
I ain't going to change. You, you just better. You, you make me a robot. Just, <laughs> just, just take that free will out because I'm just, I'm going to continue to sin. You know, we, 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 we almost want it and we'll even imply it on others. A lot of us, that's how accountability works, right? As soon as we find out someone's wrong with something, all right, bro, here we go, man. Okay, none this, none this, none that, none this, none that, none this. Uh, how am I going to get to work? You're going to work. You ain't working. There's people at work. There's temptation. You stay at home. <laughs> we get hardcore. We get hard. I've been in some tough accountability groups, and I mean, we're working it out. We're spiritual P90 again, and we're, we're going to town trying to figure out how to prevent even an opportunity rather than train ourselves to choose purity, to choose godliness, to choose holiness. And it's interesting to me because God does an approach that is in human terms, irresponsible, per se. Because here he is, I mean, when we talk about ultimate disaster, it's, all, it's the fall of man. <laughs> you don't get much more ultimate than that. And all God says to Adam is, hey, look, it's all good except for that tree right there. Got it? You got it? You got it? That's it. Satan, in the form of a serpent, actually did more talking to Eve than God did to Adam. He was actually convincing and persuading Eve to take from the fruit rather than God persuading to not. Why, why is God not using his resources to prevent? He knows what could happen, the ramifications. Why is he not using his resources to prevent the fall if he cares? See, we, we don't understand love. Let's read it again. Here, if you can understand this, it answers the question for you. So, so here, here's the question. The question was, why would God, why, why didn't God not put the same amount of effort as the serpent did? Because in all reality, when we read Genesis, the serpent put in more effort to get his way than God did. God simply just presented and said, here I am. Here's what you can have. It's all good. Just don't eat from that tree. That's it. One line. We have a whole dialogue between the serpent and Eve. Why would God not try to persuade or convince or, or, or use his resources, the infinite resources he has to persuade, you know, give a sermon illustration or something, you know, like show the future, well, this will happen if you do it, and dun, 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 dun. You know, like there's none of that. It's just simply he speaks. But, but it really is understandable if we can understand this. I'll read again. Love suffers long. It diligently seeks ways to be useful and delights in the esteem or honor of another does not draw attention to itself exclusively. Knowing one is not more important than another does not engage in impure or ungodly activity. Allows free will and is others-oriented. Does not use anger as a means to solve difficulties with others. Does not keep an account of wrongdoings. Never delights in another person's unrighteousness or joins in it. Rejoices in truth and prevails when truth prevails in another person's life. Is publicly silent in another person's faults expresses unshakable confidence and trust in others, confidently expecting future victory in others, and outlasts every attack that Satan tries to break up relationships. That is why he is able to not convince. He doesn't have to persuade. He, he's, he's not restricted by time. It's not about obedience. It's not about this discipline. His love is too big to, be, to think that finite. It, it wasn't about Adam and Eve doing what God says when he said to do it. It was about being in a love relationship. And if that had to be waited for, it was worth it. We don't understand that concept. 
even in our own relationships. You love way too much. <laughs> Wait by yourself. <laughs> That's what's going to happen. <laughs> right? But true love really does wait. That's, God was the first to prove that. There was, there was no rush. It, it was, you, were where, you were worth waiting for. Because the goal at the end of the day is you, is being with you, but by your own volition. By you looking up and saying, I could be there, but I want you more. That's it. That's what he was looking for. And if he has to wait, he'll wait. As Peter says, he's not slow as some understand slowness, but he's waiting so that none have to perish. He's, he's willing to wait as long as he has to wait for you to come back. Because that's what it's all about is this fellowship, this relationship between God and his people. If we don't get that, we don't get the gospel. And so here's our problem. We were talking earlier with, with like and love and, it, and it intertwining. What, what, what it develops is we begin to live a life to please God. And that's dangerous because really that, that's pharisaical. That, that's how you become a Pharisee. The Pharisees weren't all bad. You know, we, we look at the Pharisees, oh, they're stupid, they're dumb. How could they ever not recognize Jesus? In all reality, it's not that they didn't recognize Jesus. They knew the scriptures. Jesus even commended them for knowing the scriptures. The fact they didn't like Jesus, and the only reason they killed Jesus is because he stripped away all of their confidence. If they would have given in to him, they had to let go of all that they lived on, which was their good deeds. They could not do what Paul did, which he said, I consider all my gain rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ. They weren't willing to do that. The Pharisee was a tough job, and it took a lot to get there, and they weren't going to allow this carpenter to take that all away. It's going to take a fancy king to come in for me to go into and to give all this up on. I'm not doing it for Jesus. And we're, we're slipping into that same mold today when we have this pleasing attitude that God wants me to live for him and be holy. And we re read scripture and it says, be holy as I am holy. And we filter that as, okay, by my own efforts, energy, and strain, I have to attain Christ-likeness. And then he will be appeased by me. He will be satisfied with me. And that's how the Pharisees were. That's why they were so evil. Because they, were, they, were so, they, they really believed that God liked them better than others because of how they performed in their everyday life. And so when you weren't up to par, they treated you how they thought God treat, would treat them and felt justified. They weren't evil. and They didn't look at themselves and think that they were evil. <laughs> they thought they were religious. They thought they were the closest thing to God. And a lot of us do the same thing. We, we put on this performance. We wear righteousness like cologne, and we put on this fake holy makeup because Scripture says to be perfect, and I can't let people know I have issues, so I put on all this Christian makeup just to go home and struggle with the same stuff I have for the past 10 years. Because I'm not getting the real gospel truth. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not getting it. God, God I, does not get pleased by you or by me because of anything that I do, but the choice that I make to be with him. And in choosing to be with him, the Holy Spirit begins to rework my heart and my mind to be like Christ. I don't get to brag when people say, man, you, man brother, you, you got it going. I don't get to brag because if it's real, that means the Holy Spirit did it. And if the Holy Spirit did it, that means it's fake. So either way, I can't brag. <laughs> it's, it, it was never, you, you, your, your salvation isn't on you and neither is your walk on you. It's on your dependency on him from first 
to last. I have to remain dependent on him. It's a relationship and where he is the male, I am the female, and I love it. Because, girls, you may not know it, but as a guy, it's tough sometimes because we pay for everything. <laughs> we got to have a plan where we're going, where we're eating. You, you gotta, you, we got to do so much, and I'm, I'm glad to finally be in a relationship where I get to show up. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? I mean, if you understand the gospel, that's all it is. He's just saying, be on time. When I come get you, be on time. Don't be doing all that poofy stuff. Just be on time. When I come get you, be ready to go. And the Holy Spirit is here and is real right now saying, I'm ready to pick you up. If you're ready to go and begin the relationship, I'm ready to pick you up. Don't put on any of that whack jewelry because I'm about to get you some new stuff. So, so don't come at me with, oh, well, I was president of so-and-so in high school, Jesus. I, I'm, I'm about to give you some new jewelry, some new stuff. All that's going in the trash anyways. I got all new stuff for you that already been purchased. Now I got some issues, and, you know, I'm taking care of all. Again, just show up. It don't matter what you're wearing. It doesn't matter how much money you got. In your pocket, just show up. I got everything. Jesus does the heavy lifting in this relationship. I love it. I don't know if you know this, but we're all the females in the relationship towards God. He says, we're the bride. Thank you, Jesus. We are the, we are the bride. So, so let's understand. Let's understand this gospel so it can overwhelm us and we can, we can release it to others and give them the full, real gospel. I'm telling you, I've went countless places in the past few months and presented this gospel, the original gospel of the Bible, and it's blowing people's minds what they're hearing. It's crazy. People who've been raised in the church are blown away because they've never heard the full gospel. They have no clue. Some of us, perhaps before tonight, really had no clue of all this truth, of, of this love relationship. It's not about discipline. It's not about uh, obedience. And I'm not saying that we live disobedient, but, you, but you're missing it if your focus is on anything other than him. The focus has to be on God. That's where my attention is to. It's not on me or my sin. It's not my good deeds. It's not my bad deeds. It's all on him. And I'm to show up on time and say, God, I'm ready to begin the journey of giving you everything, a commitment, a covenant of myself to you and allowing you to do all the work. How many of you guys have ever been to the doctor? When you go, I'm, I'm, I'm closing. I'm closing. So don't trip. I'm closing. Um. So when, when you go to the doctor, I had surgery not that long ago on, on, on my neck. And, and here's the thing. When, when I went in for surgery, I go in and I show up, and my only responsibility is to be on time and be still. That's it. And, and, and what they do is when, when you're there, they put you in this weird lazy boy type chair, and they lay you back. And you're actually in a relaxed position. The greatest physical sign of faith is living in a relaxed position. It's showing that I have complete trust God has taken care of everything. I could not have removed, I, I had two tumors in my throat. I could not have removed them on my own. I had, <laughs> had no ability to do, do that. I would have killed myself. And a lot of us are killing ourselves trying to earn and work out our salvation and earn some special relationship with God that you can't work out on your own. You simply walk in, allow him to relax the chair and say, Lord, do what you do.
do what you do. I give it to you. I give you me. It's that simple. It's, it's really that simple. This is the gospel message, and it's, it's basic, but yet so profound. Because here's, when, when the gospel message really penetrates your heart, you no longer have to worry about sharing your faith. You just share your life. And that's what the world out there is waiting for. They're not waiting to hear another sermon about how good Jesus is. They're waiting to see Jesus in you. And that doesn't happen until you fully understand the gospel and it overtakes you. The only reason we have a gospel message is because the motive of God was to be with you. Therefore, we got Jesus. So if you don't understand God's motive, you miss it completely. We didn't go into it because we didn't have time. But if you look at uh, chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians, Paul explains it so well. He says before, it's verse 1 through 3, and he talks about I could have such a great faith and I could have all these spiritual gifts, but if I have not love, I've missed it. I don't get it. And Jesus says the same thing. He says many will do many miracles and signs and wonders, and I'll say that to them on that day, I do not know you. They'll say, Lord, Lord, we're ready to come in, and I don't know you. But we did this and we did that. But where was your motive? Where was your heart? Did you have love? No, they didn't. They missed it. Love. Well, what is love? It has nothing to do with what's enjoyable for me. Love is all about what I'm giving to the object. Heavenly Father, we ask that your spirit would do what what no man can do and that you would just really seal up this message, that you would grow the hearts of every believer in here and that you would take us to a deep revelation and understanding of your motive in the whole gospel message that we would understand that this is, this is all about a God who is crazy and persistent in pursuing his people. And give us the ability to just relax and say, God, you can have me. God, I'll allow you to work it out in me. God, at the end of the day, you do it all. I'm just going to show up on time. We thank you that your Holy Spirit is here, that your Holy Spirit is real. We ask that you would do some real work in our lives, not just here in this moment, but as we leave here, as we pray to you, that we would really divinely connect with the Almighty. We thank you for what you did and how it allows you to continue your ultimate purpose, which is relationship with your people. In Jesus' name, amen. That was a good word. That's why we love it when Dwayne gets a chance to come and just share his heart because it always speaks to us in our hearts. It does every single person. And what we're going to find in the next month while Eric is on sabbatical, the Holy Spirit has something really powerful to show us, even in Eric and Camille not being with us. And that is that the power of God is here for you every single Thursday night. So we're going to spend some more time in worship. We're going to have ministry time. I know it's a little bit late, so if you need to go, feel free to go, but we just want to take some time to minister to people. If, if what Dwayne shared spoke something to your heart and you want to just come up and get some prayer support, we would love to do that. So if our prayer ministry team will come up.